You know, the pastor is uh, pretty bright after all. He's away slumming today, and uh, next week's going to be a big day, and so he didn't want you to get just too much today. So uh, he asked me. Of course, he had a little encouragement. Albie said this will be our last day. It will also be the last day for Super Baby, our daughter, and uh, Mother will be taking the tickets and directing the traffic over here when we get the baby. And uh, she encouraged the pastor, I think, to let me speak. She likes it. And uh, I just pray that the Lord will be able to speak to us as together we look at his word. Uh, I want to talk this morning about the cross. The cross is absolutely central to the Christian faith. Absolutely central. It stands on the highest hill in history. Uh, In point of time, it divides our time, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It cleaves history into two pieces. Uh, Spiritually, it was at that point that God satisfied his own demands, that he who knew no sin became sin itself, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The cross has lost for the modern church much of its meaning. Frequently, it has been reduced to a catch-all phrase for anything and everything that is uncomfortable or unpleasant. The cross is not a burden. And how nauseous it is to hear someone say, it's just my cross. Garbage. The cross is not a burden. It's not an illness. It's not great disaster. It's not unfortunate circumstances that have to be contended with now. The cross is a way of life, no less for us than it was for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian, it is at the cross that you must meet Jesus, for it is there that he laid down his life and paid the price for you. It is there that you lay down your life and exchange it for his. The cross is absolutely central. It's not a burden, not circumstance, but a way of life. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says very simply, we'll come back to this chapter later, for the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. Luke 14, you know, we're real good about quoting Jesus as he says, if a man wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we use that as an excuse sometimes to say what I was talking about. You know, I've just got to do it. You know, it's expected of me. But what he said in Luke 14 is worded just a little stronger. Luke 14, 27, 28, and verse 33. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For who of you intending to build a house or a tower does not sit down first and count the cost to see if he has enough to finish it? So likewise, whoever it is who does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple." 
It's not optional. There's nothing optional about the Christian life. You know, the Lord doesn't sit back and let us go through like a cafeteria line and pick what we want. It's either going to be His way or not at all. The cross, absolutely central to Christian experience. And today I want to say some things about the cross that I believe it signifies for the life of the Christian. The cross signifies change. Pride, honor, dignity, popularity, these are strangers to the way of the cross. That's one of the problems the Jews had with Jesus. They couldn't understand what God was doing in that man. They couldn't see it. They were looking not for a Messiah. They were so self-centered. They looked back to Isaiah 53 and those beautiful passages about his suffering and his ministry, and they said, why, that's us. The suffering servant is the nation of Israel. That's us. We've had it so rough. And they were looking for the triumphant Jesus, the Messiah who shall reign through eternity. They were looking for a general to come in and run the Romans back to Italy. They could not understand what God was doing in Jesus Christ. And it was a simple matter to them. They had the Word of God. They thought they understood it. Have you ever wondered why they went through such an elaborate procedure to get Jesus put to death? You say, well, they were a captive nation. They had to go through proper channels. No, they didn't. Only thing Rome was interested in was revolt. They killed Stephen, the New Testament deacon. They killed James, the brother of Jesus. Why wouldn't they, James, the brother of John, why wouldn't they kill Jesus? Because in their simplistic way of thinking, if they could just discredit him, it would eliminate the possibility of him being who he said he was. Galatians 3.13. Paul expresses their point of view. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, and this is in Deuteronomy 21, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. They didn't kill Jesus in order that he could be discredited in order that he could be put to shame because surely the Messiah would reign triumphant. He would not be the man of sorrows. He would not be discredited. He would not come to the wrong kind of people and live and deal with publicans and sinners. He would come to the righteous and he would run the Romans out. The cross signified for Jesus Christ shame. And besides that, he came to the wrong kind of people. He came to the wrong kind of people. Surely the Messiah would come to the temple and minister to the Sanhedrin and be acclaimed. He would not go to the scum of society. You know, when old Paul was struck down on the Damascus Road, he had to accept two things. The first thing he had to accept was the wrong kind of Messiah. He didn't believe it. But he had to accept the wrong kind of people as the people of God to his way of thinking. You know, old Paul didn't give up too easy. Here he is, stricken, blind, in the dirt, and he hears a voice and he says, Why are you persecuting me? And very feebly and unconvincingly he says, Who are you? 
I believe that he knew very well who it was. He got to the real question a little later when he said, what do you want? He had to accept the wrong kind of people as the people of God. And after his conversion, it blew his mind wide open. It was a mind-expanding experience, and he had to go off in the desert for three years so God could completely reorder his life and rework his theology. He couldn't understand that God becoming a man would be anything but triumphant and magnificent, but the way of the cross meant for the Lord Jesus Christ shame, and it means that for us. You say, well, I haven't seen that. We love and respect our pastor and our staff and uh, my friends. They are sympathetic with what I'm doing. But wait a minute. What if Jesus was in absolute control everywhere you go? Well, I just associate with Christian people. You got a problem. He said, be in the world, just don't be of the world. And if you are filled with the Spirit of God, if you are letting Jesus live through you and you go into the world, they're going to react against it. Because the flesh cannot stand to be in the presence of God. And the cross signifies shame. If we just let Jesus be himself everywhere we are. You know, the church was not designed to come in and hide and go away furtively in the night to await praise and worship and service until the next time we come together. It was designed to meet only as much as absolutely necessary and be about the work in the world. And the cross signifies shame. But again, the cross signifies rebellion. For Jesus Christ to be crucified in the Roman Empire branded him as an enemy of the state. It branded him as a rebel. And what was it that drove the Jews over the brink into blind, final, and fatal hatred for the life of Jesus Christ? You say, well, everybody liked him. Well, that's true. He was... Uh, spoke with authority and had charisma. He was a threat to their position. Well, that's true. But the thing that really did it was he wouldn't fit into their mold. He was a rebel. Well, that guy had nerve to eat on Sunday, Saturday, without washing his hands. And everybody knew that you weren't supposed to work on Sunday, and here he was healing a withered arm in the synagogue or the temple on Sunday. He had all kinds of nerve. He just wouldn't do it their way. Now, you've heard many times about the law that the Jews had constructed upon the law of God and what they'd added to it, 600-odd of them. One of them was, was really heavy. Boy, it was great stuff. It said if you were walking home from worship on the Sabbath and a limb off a tree or a little branch hung in the hem of your robe and you dragged it behind you down the street, you had a sin. You had to confess and offer a sacrifice and be forgiven. You know why? Because that was plowing on the Sabbath. 
That's right. They were, they were real sharp. And Jesus didn't, just wouldn't buy their pattern of living. Now, we see in them, the Pharisees, our brothers, the reflection of some things we ought not to do, and one of them is reduce God to a pattern. I don't care what it is. You reduce God to an exact scheme of doing anything, and you've made a mistake. Boy, you can get it constructed. You can defend it from the Word of God. You can build your wall around it, and God will come along and spit on it, and it'll crumble in the dust. God will always break the pattern. But they wouldn't let God be God. They wouldn't let Him be flexible. They had Him in a box. They had Him in their pocket. They knew Him. They knew what He was going to do and everything He thought. And Jesus just didn't fit the pattern. The cross signifies rebellion. There was religious rebellion. There was social rebellion. Everyone knew that the good folk ought not to associate with the bad. It was just that simple. They knew that he just was from Satan himself because he broke the mold. Rebellion, even revolution, that's what we need. You know, I've, I've been there, and I was as good at it as anybody else. I'd jump up and down and say, look, everybody else is. You know, why not? Everybody else does it. But then, you know, I discovered that wouldn't work, and I tried to con folks, especially my parents. I'd say, you know, i just got to be me. I just can't be like you. i got to do my own thing. And what I was saying, I don't want to be like you because it's more important to me to be like somebody else. Nonconformity for the purpose of conformity. You see it in all the social movements, the rebellions against the establishment. They start, many of them, with a good idea. They want to change things. They're sincere. And then it falls into the pattern. They get just like the establishment. If you're not like them, they write you off. What's the difference? No difference at all. But let me pause to say Jesus never fostered rebellion or revolution without a good reason and without the dictate of God Almighty. Don't you use Jesus as an excuse to defy authority. You want to know what he thinks about it? Read the last of Romans 12 and the chapter of Romans 13. He says anybody that defies established authority, and by the way, he didn't say it was right or wrong because he lived in Rome and Rome took his life and he knew what Rome was. But he said if you defy established authority, you defy God and you're going to pay for it. You read that and get anything out of it except civil obedience and good citizenship. There's no way. I was reading in the paper yesterday an interview with Dr. Garrison and we're all rejoicing has come as pastor of the First Baptist Oklahoma City. And he said he doesn't want to brand himself as a liberal or a conservative, just he's learned one thing the hard way, that either you change or you get broken by change. And that's the other side of the same coin. There is to be no rebellion, no revolution, no difference in the name of Jesus without a reason. But God doesn't stand still. God is going forward. It is he who chose the metaphors and the illustrations about living the Christian life, about growing, 
from the plant world, and in the plant world you either live and grow or you die. You don't stay the same. Growth or death. And the cross signifies shame, but it signifies rebellion and revolution. One of your boys from First Southern was telling me about 18 months ago, having spent the summer in California, and Oregon, Washington is a summer missionary, about a group that called themselves the Jesus Freaks. Now, that name's been uh, nationalized now, but this was a specific group that called themselves that, and it was during the period of time of unrest and trouble on the campuses, and they had sold out to Jesus, finding him an alternative uh, to social rebellion and revolution. And they, coming from the ranks of the radicals, wanted to minister there. And the radicals would have their councils to decide what they could do next to destroy things. And the Jesus freaks would get down on their knees in the middle of them and read their Bible and pray, and it broke it up every time. That's rebellion for a purpose. And we need it. The cross signifies shame. It signifies rebellion. The cross signifies execution. The cross signifies execution. The cross is not just a trinket we wear around our neck. It's not something by which we publicly proclaim that we belong to Jesus. The cross is a place to die. Nothing more, nothing less. The cross is a place to die. It's been a revelation to me to realize in study that every time Jesus talks about following him in the same places, he's talking about the cross and his death and the fact that it cost him everything he had to buy salvation. The cross signifies execution. It's just a place to die. If Jesus wrote Luke uh, 14, 27 or spoke it today or in the recent past, he could say legitimately find a rope and go hang yourself. I love Arthur Blessing. Thank the Lord for his ministry. But you know, uh, carrying a cross across country on a bicycle wheel isn't exactly what Jesus had in mind. Now, I'm glad he did it. But when Jesus says, pick up the cross and follow me, you've got to think now, where was he going with that thing? He was going to Calvary, and he didn't do anything there except die. The cross has never existed apart from the death of the one who carries it. And if you try to carry it through your life, it'll break your back. Stop and die on it. The cross is a place to die. It's not glamorous. It's not fashionable. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back at all you've done for Jesus. It's just a place to die. This also stood in Paul's way. That Messiah wasn't supposed to be executed. He was supposed to reign triumphant. Now, the Jews couldn't get away from it either. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 21 through 24. Paul goes on to say, It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching 
to save those who believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the uh, Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He says to the Jews it's a stumbling block. Now that word means not a rock, not a stone that you would stumble and fall on, but it's the idea of a boulder. You ever driven through the mountains and they got all those signs that say watch out for falling rocks, but if you do you're going to run off the side of the thing. And the idea is a rock that would fall and block the road and you couldn't get around it. Now that's what Jesus was to the Jews. He was a stumbling block because he was supposed to reign and not be executed. Now to the Greeks, foolishness. I can just see Paul on Mars Hill as he talks to all those wise Greek folks. And uh, you know, they didn't have any trouble accepting the incarnation. All of their gods became men. That was the right thing to do. They believed that. And they got, well man, these Jews have wised up. They've got themselves a real God. And then he goes on and tells about the death of Jesus and they go away and say, oh no, those Jews got themselves a God and now they've killed him. It was foolishness to them. They couldn't understand it. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Galatians 2, 20 and 21, not a statement of fact about every Christian's experience. Paul's personal testimony is still God's pattern and plan for the Christian. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but it's not me, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by his faith. Not mine, but his. The cross signifies shame. It signifies rebellion. It signifies execution. Now there's one thing that Jesus had to say about the cross, basically. Over and over again, he said, pick it up. Pick it up. The cross must be a way of life no less for us than it was for him. It's not things or incidents or tragedy isolated from the mainstream of life, but it's life itself. Jesus said, pick it up and follow me. For you who do not know Jesus, that's where you've got to meet him because you see you've got to do it his way or not at all. You've got to meet him at the cross and there accept his life in exchange for your own because he paid the price that you can't satisfy. For you as a Christian, it's where you have to meet him too because it's at this point that you're either a disciple or you're not. Jesus doesn't allow any shortcuts to spirituality and to his will. He demands, he doesn't ask, he doesn't cajole, he's patient and he loves us and he draws us, but he won't meet you halfway. It's either his way or not at all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German 
creature refused to leave Germany when Hitler came to power because he loved his homeland. He refused to run off because of Adolf Hitler. And from his prison cell in a prison camp for years, they smuggled his writings out a page or two at a time. And in a book called The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer made a statement that came true to him for a week before the war was over. They hated him so much they knew they were going to lose. Rather than let him go free, they killed him. Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus bids a man come, he bids him come and die. Jesus said one thing about the cross. Pick it up. That's the question he asked you. We're going in just a moment to stand and sing and what he would have you do. Do it now. Do it quickly. May we pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you that you are yourself. Lord, more than that, I want to thank you that you demand everything that we have. Lord, I'm glad that grace isn't cheap. I'm glad that discipleship doesn't come easy because it wouldn't be worth having if it did. Lord Jesus, draw from us each one that response that you demand. Whatever you would have done, may it be done now. We thank you for what you are about to do, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.